Dopey Podcast Dopey Podcast Well dopey now podcast. is the time for the Dopey Podcast Where you call in and dopey put all your life on blast And you call dopey in podcast. and talk about your past Because your dopey life was curious, hardcore and fast So dopey now podcast. is the time for the Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast, the Dopey Podcast, yo This is the Dopey Podcast This is the Dopey Podcast Now if your life was furious, hardcore and fast You feel like you want to put your life on blast Just call up the show and I talk about your past Cause now is the time for the Dopey Podcast It's the Dopey Podcast, the Dopey Podcast, yo This is the Dopey Podcast. This is the Dopey Podcast. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro and not Aloe Recovery. Both, of course, were founded by our friend Bob Forrest and his very good friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. The mission to create a rehab that treats addiction and alcoholism with connection and compassion rather than control. They have many, many, many decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including the dread SMI. They make sure that if you go to Oro, your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is incredibly important if you're kicking heroin or alcohol, or even if you're kicking crack or meth. A comfortable detox is a comfortable detox. They have amenities you wouldn't believe, including sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, and of course, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend Oro. Everyone else I know does too. Check out ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Soberlink. At Soberlink, somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder and alcoholism since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friends, sponsor, treatment professionals, recovery coaches, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to the Dopey Nation, to our listeners, email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for that someone who cares. Help Soberlink keep you off of the sauce. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Knocking Doors Down, a podcast with the mission to end the stigma around addiction and mental health with humorous honest and vulnerable conversations featuring guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people. Celebrity guests sharing their stories of addiction and mental health issues include Charlie Sheen, Bam Margera, Kelly Osborne, AJ McLean from the Backstreet Boys, Cheryl Burke from Dancing with the Stars, Denise Richards, 
and Gary Busey, to name a few. Also, I was on the show, which was awesome. Hosted by Jason in recovery for addiction, childhood trauma, sexual trauma, and a family lineage of addiction. Co-hosted by Mikey, who struggles with substance abuse and mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. Knocking Doors Down is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart or wherever you get your podcasts and full videos are available by going to kddpodcast.com check it out Hello and welcome to another exciting, exciting, robust, and super special episode of Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I hope you guys are all very well out there, wherever you might be. If you are somewhere on the outback in Australia, or maybe in smoggy California, or maybe you're riding the rapids of a river somewhere in Iowa or someplace. Are there any rivers in Iowa? I don't know. I don't know where there are rapids. Maybe it's Colorado that has white water rafting. That's one of my that's one of my sober fantasies to to do a white water rafting trip. Another sober fantasy is to go scuba diving. I'm going to go scuba diving. I want to go scuba diving before all the reefs are wiped out. I'm not sure if there are any robust reefs left. Dopey Nation, if you are aware of any robust reefs, please write me an email at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. I just got an email and I need to read it because it's so sweet. It's from a, a woman and she says, Dave, just a quick line to say thanks for your podcast. I listen every week and started after the This American Life episode. After hearing their story, I went back and listened to all of your episodes. They were great to listen to on long solo drives and late nights. One of my favorite things about Dopey is your great taste in music. Thank you. Not only your covers, which always seems to be songs I love, like Lou Reed or The Stones, whatever, but your opening music selections are often really great tunes I had long forgotten about, like today's Dopey podcast theme by Rocker T. And I definitely recommend checking out Rocker T, Nicer by the Hour on Spotify. Anyway, more importantly, I want to thank you for turning me on onto artists like Langhorn Slim and Riley Walker. I'd never listened to either of them, but did so after each of their episodes. They are both fantastic musicians, and I really love their catalogs. So thank you, since I needed some new music suggestions. Also, you are a natural interviewer, and I hope you can go full-time with your podcast media career. I hope you and your family are well. Sincerely, Kelly from Kensington, Maryland. Thank you, Kelly. I cannot tell you how much that means to me. I'm very interested in hearing the Dopey Nation's response to our music at the front. Normally, nobody says nothing about it. Nobody ever talks about Rocker T. Nobody ever talks about the Fat Albert. Nobody ever talks about Pay Attention or... People did like uh, the Dope Dopey 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 Dopey, which is by my friend Br'er Brian. But if you have any comments about the Dopey music, please write me an email at dopeypodcast@gmail.com as well. Excuse me, I've, I've, I've just, I'm getting over a bad cold. And if you're a, a, a true fan of Dopey, you know that when I have a cold, it's good times. 
I get to stay home a bit, get in bed, catch up on some shows. I just want to share with you some of the shows that I've caught up with really quickly. First of all, Wu-Tang, an American saga, is really kicking in. They just released Cream, Cash Rules, Everything Around Me. The only thing annoying about Wu-Tang is the way the actor who plays the RZA talks. It's fucking annoying. There's no way the RZA talks like that. Another show that I've caught up on is Succession. And I've had a lot of fun watching Succession. It makes me feel nervous, and they're kind of annoying. But just that much wealth is just relaxing in its, in its like, bounty and like sensual pleasures of, of opulence. It's fucking awesome to see the wealth and to hate the rich and also to admire them secretly. And also, most importantly, the great Larry David is back with Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I cannot, I mean, dude, this new Curb, Richard Lewis, dream dopey guest, Richard Lewis, who we're never gonna get. He's, he's in bad shape. I think he's sick and uh, old. And I doubt he's ever going to come on Dopey. I've written him from Katz's social media, though, and he's responded to me. But he's never responded from Dopey social media. But they replaced Richard Lewis with Albert Brooks. And Albert Brooks is fantastic. And in the first episode of Curb, Albert Brooks decides to throw himself a funeral while he's still alive, which is something that I've always wanted to do. Hilarity ensues. I cannot recommend it enough. And that's my TV picks of the week, my sick picks. And then another unwell news, it had been 14 or 15 days since I went to a 12-step meeting, so I went back last weekend. I was actually on the phone with the great Ray Brown, who right now is somewhere in Mexico. I think he's on a bus towards the Yucatan Peninsula. Yesterday, he climbed a mountain and went to the top of the pyramid, and I think we're going to get him to call in sometime next week. So look out for Ray Brown. Let's wish him well down in lovely Mexico. And uh, I was talking to Ray on the phone, driving to a meeting, and all of a sudden, I've become the person who's like, I really need a meeting. And like, I really, you know, it's just weird. Like, I never, I always resented people who said, they needed a meeting. I didn't resent them as much as I thought they were annoying. And the truth is that I went to my meeting on Saturday, then I went on Sunday, and then I went on Monday. And it really actually did the trick. I was, I don't know, it was, uh, it was important for me to hear the message. It was important in, in a lot of ways when I watch old TV shows, I feel transported to the time I watched it originally, which was oftentimes all fucked up on drugs. And I think when I go to 12-step meetings, I'm often transported back to the time that I was in trouble and the meeting really saved me. And it, it's like when they talk about keeping it green or whatever, it reminds me of that. And I just had a really, really good few meetings and it really, I don't know, it reinvigorated the spirit got me more spiritual, feeling good, and um, that's it. That's all I have to say about it. God is everything or God is nothing. In very exciting news, Sunday, October 31st, we are launching our new YouTube show, Good Morning Dopey. And Good Morning Dopey is like, I don't know. It's along these spiritual lines of the daily reflections out of the 12-step stuff. And I read the daily reflections and I try to make sense of it. And we, we've recorded 36 episodes of it. So 
If you have time on Sunday, check out uh, Good Morning Dopey on YouTube. But even more important than that, if you're a Dopey Nation person, you should check out Patreon. Dopey Patreons at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. There's tons of great shit. Fucking new Ask Aaron on Patreon. Videos, old segments with Chris, music, my dad, other stuff. Check it out. Please, when you give to Patreon, you help making Dopey more Dopey, and you get me a little closer to doing Dopey full-time, which is really all I want to do at this point. So thank you for supporting Patreon. Thank you for checking out Good Morning Dopey on YouTube. We have a really fun and exciting show today. We have a Canadian guest on the show, which I'm sure uh, Carnif is happy about, and uh, a bunch of our other Canadian audience, including Karina and Catherine. I'm giving you little shout outs there. Any other Canadians, forgive me for, for missing the boat. But today we have a hockey player. Oh, you know who's going to love today is Randy Robles, straight out of Canada, who loves hockey. So today we have the great Theron Fleury on the show. And if you don't know who Theron Fleury is, he played for the Calgary Flames where he won the Stanley Cup. He also played for the New York Rangers, the Colorado Rockies, and the Chicago... What's the fucking hockey team in Chicago? I want to say it's the White Sox, but according to Sam, dopey producer, it's actually the Blackhawks. We also have the great Aaron Carr back on the show to answer some of your questions with the Ask Aaron. And uh, which is always a treat. But before we get to that, I just want to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out BetterHelp.com slash Dopey Podcast because life is full of stressors and it doesn't matter who you are or what you have. Your life is probably stressful. Lord knows that mine is. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain from it. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and dopey listeners in the Dopey Nation get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash DopeyPodcast. Check it out. Um, here he is, straight from the Great North Way. I think that's what you say, the Great White Way. Is that what you say? So the Great Up North? What do you say? What's the thing you say? The Great North. Thank you, Sam. The Great North, Mr. Theron Fleury. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I have a very, very patient Canadian on the phone with me. He's not only a patient Canadian, he's a superstar NHL hockey player. He's a TED talker. He's a fucking author. He's a figure skater, country singer, survivor. His name is Theo Fleury. Welcome to Dopey. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the invite, and uh, appreciate uh, any opportunities I get to talk about addiction. So. What about dumb shit, Mr. Flurry? Do you enjoy talking about dumb, dumb shit as well? Yes. 
I've done a lot of dumb shit in my life, so you comes and with the territory. You and me both, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I never played hockey. I can barely ice skate. So you're like a superhero as far as I'm concerned. I'm like a nerdy Jew from Manhattan. So you and I are very opposite, but at the same time, we're both the same, right? You got it. You got it. Unfortunately, we got that, you know, that addictive brain, right? So. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I've heard you say a lot of times that you have no regrets, though, after everything that went down. Do you still feel like that? Yeah, absolutely. Because one life moment could have put me on a different path or a different road or whatever, right? And I really believe that, you know, there are there are no coincidences in life and that everything happens for a reason. And when you grasp on to the concept of spirituality, which is the first three steps of, you know, any 12-step program, then you give up control and you turn your will and your life over to something greater than yourself so that, you know, you don't have to fucking manage shit anymore. You know, you just go with the flow and let it happen. It's funny because you and I were just, I mean, I was really struggling in Dopey Nation. The audience is called the Dopey Nation, Theo, just so you know. So Dopey Nation, me and Mr. Flurry here were on the phone and I was panicking, fucked up because I couldn't get the gear to work. And like in that moment, all spirituality is out the window, you know, <laughs> seriously. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Is it ever, right? Yeah. Because we, we get stuck in our own head. You know, and uh, we're easily frustrated. You know, what is it? Irritable, restless, and discontented. Sort of our life, discontentment. That's it for sure. So, <laughs> that's right. But like, I, I mean, like for me, like when people at, at my meeting, I go to a meeting fairly often on the beach in Long Island. Okay, they meet every morning at eight in the morning, and everybody shares this the, something similar to what you said about there being no coincidences. And, like, I think because I'm cynical, I don't say everything happens for a reason. I say the reason everything happens is because it happens. And if you want to say that's a either way, it's a flip side to the same mm -hmm. coin, right? Right. Yep, for sure. For sure. But there's a lot of amazing things that have happened in my life. You know, I turned my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand it. And when I did that, that's when things started to change. Right. So... You also, you came from like the ultimate dopey scenario. Your dad was a hardcore alcoholic and your mom was a hardcore drug addict with, with pills and you grew up in that environment. How, how much do you think that, you know, the genetic factor plays a part in your addiction? Yeah, I, I think part of my trauma experience, right, right, was dealing with, you know, that at, a, at an early age and, you know, there was a lot of chaos, a lot of, you know, insanity, um, you know, some violence, uh, unpredictability. He didn't have the ability to, you know, completely 100% be there for me, guide me, you know, all those things. And those things, you know, those things affect you, you know. And, uh, and obviously, uh, I am my father's son because I followed in his footsteps uh, and had my own stuff going on, right? So I saw your dad interviewed... And um, it was so funny because he couldn't say how great you were. He said, I saw, he basically said, I saw how great you were. And then I realized I was great. 
in the interview I saw him with him. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he like reflected on his own greatness as a hockey player yeah. watching you succeed. Um, was that yeah. built into the relationship? That kind of like jealousy it's, of your it's, success? It's, it's still there. Right. So just learn to don't pay too much attention to it. But I, I get why, you know, he feels that way because he, you know, too was a great hockey player and had an opportunity to, you know, maybe make it to the to the show. And, uh, you know, he suffered a very horrific injury to his leg that, you know, caused him to cause that dream to, you know, go away. It's amazing how that works, like the sperms going to the egg. All of us that want to make something happen and the things that have to happen in order for you to get to the show or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you started playing hockey how old? Five years old when I first put on a pair of skates, so... It was a very magical experience, you know, sort of instantly fell in love with, with the game. And, uh, you know, it was, it, you know, and it was a great escape from, you know, what I was experiencing at home. And, you know, when I was at the rink, guess what? I didn't have to be at home. So I spent the majority of my childhood, you know, in arenas and working on my craft. Which is uh, amazing. And also just probably... You know, I, I can, I've never skated well. Like, I've never come close. But when you watch you skate, it's like watching somebody flying. Did it feel like that? Yeah. I subscribe to, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell theory of 10,000 hours. And basically, you know, what he says in this book called The Outliers is, you know, if we want to be the elite of the elite of the elite in whatever field we choose, we have to put in 10,000 hours of practice. And so basically, you know, from the time I was five until I was 15, when I finally left home to, you know, pursue this uh, professional hockey career, I put in 10,000 hours, you know, and because of that, you know, that's what made me great. And that's what made, you know, me have all the success was I, I put in time, uh, you know, uh, refining my, my craft. And how, how similar, like, I know that I, I started using as a way to cope with, you know, feeling insecure or not wanting to deal with this or that or, you know, just uh, because I was uncomfortable in my own skin. And I would imagine mm-hmm. that hockey served that purpose for a while, did it? Yeah, absolutely. It, it became an obsession. It became an addiction. And, uh, you know, like everything else in my life, right? But But some cool things happened, you know, while I was you know, sort of obsessed was, you know, I, I, I was a part of a team, you know, I was instilled with some really great morals, you know, that I, that I still have, uh, and use today. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it wasn't all bad. Of course and, uh, not. You know, uh, I, I think there's healthy addictive behavior to go along with destructive addictive behavior as well. So, you know, they're healthy, healthy addictions uh, as well and for me you know hockey was one of those healthy addictions how old were you when you had your first drink well so as i was sort of climbing up the ranks as a kid um you know i ran into this this coach and scout and and uh, recruiter basically this guy promised me a one-way ticket to the nhl uh when i was 15 i moved to to winnipeg and uh, over the next two and a half years, this, this particular coach, you know, raped me 150 times over a two and a half year period. And so around that time, uh, you know, I discovered this 
wonderful liquid substance that came in a brown bottle called alcohol. And, uh, you know, I became an instant alcoholic. And this guy, this scumbag, piece of shit, predator is Graham James, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just, I mean, and, just hearing uh, your story, like, I just have to say, I'm sorry that this happened to you. And this, it's fucking, it's just the worst thing. And I think a story just broke today about a hockey player who was uh, yep. molested. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. a thing? Is that, is that a thing across all sports or is it, is it specific to hockey? No, it's a, it's a uh, societal issue. Right. You know, you know, the amount of pedophiles that are walking free on this planet is, you know, would, would make your skin crawl. Revolting. You know? And, and, you know, I really believe it, it lurks in the underbelly of, you know, society and, and it, you know, it's everywhere. Right. And, uh, but mostly we find these guys in, you know, children's organizations, they infiltrate, you know, children's organizations and, and, uh, you know, they, they groom the adults first. And then once they put themselves in a position of power and trust, then they start grooming the kids. And, and uh, next thing you know, they're molesting, you know, hundreds of kids. So, and, and this guy put you in a horrible position because your destiny in your mind, I don't, I mean, like, do you think you could have made it to the NHL without this guy on, in retrospect? Uh, yeah, there's no doubt, you know, that I would have either way, but, um, at the time, you know, uh, well, you know, how many five foot six guys have actually played the NHL? You know, I bet you can't even count on two hands how many five foot six guys played in the NHL, especially during my era. And so, you know, that was the biggest sort of obstacle that I had to come overcome was my size. But I needed a break. I needed somebody to believe in me. I needed somebody, and you know, he was he was that guy, right? And. Unfortunately, he took full and complete advantage of, you know, my vulnerability and my drive and determination. And, uh, you know, that's what happened. And how soon after after that did the alcohol find its way to your mouth? Oh, it was like instant, you know, from the very first sip I took, you know, I, I was I was hooked. And in that period where where you were you were you were living with him, right? Uh, no, I, I, I went over to his house three times a week right, for right. two and a half years and, uh, you know, stayed overnight and, uh, he would molest me and then I'd get up in the morning and walk to school and, and, uh, you know, go about my business, you know, go to practice, uh, play games or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, probably one of the most difficult times of my life, but, you know, on the other side of the coin, you know, it, it really sort of led me to this place that I'm, that I'm at today. And, you know, I, I found the true purpose for my life and that's to help other survivors, uh, who experienced, you know, what I experienced and help them, you know, on their healing journeys. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, I can't, I mean, the, the fact that, uh, that it's not just you and that, and that people out there have been through this, it's like what you're doing for these other individuals and you're telling their story. It's, it's immeasurable. So um, I think that's incredible. When you were a kid, before you got sober, how did you deal with the trauma then? Well, I had hockey, and I had drugs and alcohol, right? You when know, when because, was the first time you used drugs? Jeez, uh, I was probably 16, I think I was. What yeah. was it? 
well, marijuana, hashish, you know, back in the day, that, that was probably the only thing you get your hands on. I, I, I didn't see cocaine until I was 19, and I was playing in the minors uh, with Calgary Flames uh, farm team. Remember the first time I ever did that? It was like, holy cow, this stuff is awesome, you know? Tell the and, story. Uh, Tell the story of being 19 and doing your first <laughs> coke. That's what this show usually is all yeah. about. Yeah. Well, I was just at a random party at one of the guy's places, and one of the guys said, hey, why don't you come in the bathroom? <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. And, you know, he, he lifted the toilet thing, and uh, there was a bunch of lines there, and he said, you want to try this stuff? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And I remember I did the very first line, and I was like, holy shit, this stuff is awesome, you know? And uh, But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a regular user until probably 28, 29 years old is when I really, really got hooked on it. So, What was that and about? We all know, and we all know that it's a very fast, quick trip, trip to the bottom of the gutter when you're doing that stuff. Yeah, for real. But you're talking about a nine-year period, which was probably, you know, when you won the Stanley Cup and you were like a superhero and, and you were this smaller hockey player who could do whatever you wanted to do for the most part on the ice. How did, uh, how did the alcoholism and the addiction kind of come to, like, grow up with you? Yeah, it was always a constant thing, right? But, you know, like I said, it wasn't... And, you know, obviously when I first broke into the NHL, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. So, you know, cocaine's a very expensive habit to have, right? Totally. And so, you know, as, as I as I became the superstar, so did my bank account, you know, become exponentially larger as well, right? And so, you know, kind of fit hand in hand that, uh, you know, that I could, you know, go and buy this stuff in large amounts, right? So... When did you know it was bad? When did you know that your 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 life cuz you had a fucking meteoric rise. You made like 50 million bucks. You you played in the biggest games with the biggest people. When did you know you were in trouble? Yep. But, you know, like like all of us, you know, it just have you ever talked to somebody whose addiction got better? Have you ever met anybody that where they said yeah, my addiction like, got really good, and, you know, like fucking, you know. Yeah, that's it, like it, a, a, fant a fantasy version of myself at age 25 or something. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, it, it doesn't get better. Like, it just gets worse, right? And that's, you know, I was just part of that progression of addiction, right? And, uh, you know, by the end, it was ugly, like really fucking ugly, you know? Well, by and, by uh, the end, you had you had gone from from Calgary to New York to Chicago, Colorado, and and it seemed like all the stops, shit was worse and crazier. But like, in the rear view, you know what I mean? Like in hindsight or in retrospect, like I know for myself, right? I knew I was fucking done the second I thought I could afford heroin. The second I thought I could afford heroin. Um, I was done. I I'd like find myself in withdrawal at work and I didn't make the money you made. I made like nothing. I was just a total idiot. Um, so I know that you were riding so high. There probably like ghosts flashed and you're like, uh Oh, maybe this isn't what I th thought it would be or think it is. Like, do you remember like where like you start seeing yourself 
in, in the bad way instead of in the heroic way. Yeah, well, that process took a long time. Like, even even when I sort of, you know, crossed that line and it was completely out of control, I still couldn't see it. Right. You know? Because you were a hero. You know? Because the crowds were cheering for you and you were still capable of doing mm-hmm. things that most people weren't. Yeah, that's interesting. Because yeah. I was just a loser. It was really easy to see. Like, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. going to make it. So, like, it... Yeah. it so but, but, at, but, but, but at the end... You know, like my performance went down, uh, my accountability went down, you know, my reputation went down, and still, I couldn't see it, right? You know, everybody around me could see it, but I couldn't see it, right? And I would say, you know, the last person to see their life going down the tubes is yours truly, right? Especially, you know, when when you're addicted, right? You know, your body's so addicted to the booze and the drugs and whatever, right? And then your mind takes over and then it becomes this obsession where, you know, you're, you know, 24-7, all you're thinking about is getting loaded. Totally. And that's, and that's ultimately what the disease is, right? Selfish, self-centeredness, fucking complete asshole. Total you don't insanity. Care about anything else. You don't even care about anything other than fucking, you know, trying to relieve this emotional pain that you're feeling you know from past experiences how hard is it to stay loaded playing in a C- an nhl season well how hard is it to be an addict period like the travel and and the gear and and the, and the, <clears throat> the, the fucking wear and tear on your body like like you have to keep up with 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 staying high right but you got to remember the only place i felt comfortable and normal was in that 200 by 85 square box that I used to, you know, go go out on the ice every night. Like, that was my happy place. Because when I was on the ice, I didn't have to think, right? Yeah. And I could just, you know, I could just perform. And, you know, you know, you know, you're, a her- you're an ex-heroin addict. It's like, how the fuck did I do this? Well, I, I just did it, right? I, did, I didn't uh, sit there and, you know, philosophize how the fuck, you know, I just fucking did it. Right. You know, this is part of, you know, you don't think about anything other than getting fucked up. And yeah. That's what a lot of, you know, that's what a lot of normies don't understand is, you know, when I say to them, the only thing I cared about in the whole entire world was getting fucked up. They're like, what do you mean? That's the only thing I thought about was getting fucked up. I get it. I totally get it. I didn't care about anything else at all. No, of course, staying high, you know, and, and with heroin, there's a timer on it. Like, how am I going to have heroin in 12 hours? You know what I mean? If I don't have heroin yeah, in 12, yeah. in 20 hours, I'm going to be sick. And if I don't have enough to actually feel it, what do I have to sell to get more or whatever? Um, did you play loaded ever? Like, was that a thing? Did you ever do coke and fucking go out there? No, no, no never. I interviewed... Uh, I interviewed Lenny Dykstra once and uh, oh, yeah. and I think he had a similar thing where he just didn't play loaded. I think athletics is so high that it, it, it's, it's bigger than the Coke high. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. It's the, it's the anticipation of that first line or that fucking needle going into your arm. Like that's, that's why we fucking chase it so bad. Right. That's why we're fucking ton- that's why we got tunnel vision and we don't fucking care about anybody else. Right? Totally. 
What was the scene like? Were there a lot of athletes? Get, were you getting? Were you drinking and using with a lot of athletes, or were you like the lone person who was the big fuck up that everyone was like, "Oh shit, look, Theo's all fucked up." Blah blah blah. I I, I did a lot of drinking with those guys, right? But when it was time, when it was time, then I would disappear because I didn't want to drag anybody else into what I was doing. So, and I knew they couldn't keep up either. So, where in your career? Was the was the first real bottom you felt? Say that again. Where? Which city was the? I mean, like I, I heard stories about you spending ten thousand dollars a night at scores, um, and I, but that doesn't mm-hmm. sound like like the uh, the bottom of bottoms. You know what I mean? Like that sounds like you're making enough money. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> yeah. When you have enough resources, you know, it, it it prevents you from hitting rock bottom sooner, right? Yeah. You know? So, so yeah. You know, when, you know, I was making, when I was in New York, I was making $400,000 every two weeks after taxes. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to scores for a night and spending fucking 10 G's and, you know, lighting it up and fucking buying fucking Cristal and fucking, you know, 10, eight balls of cocaine and fucking we're partying. Right. In the, I saw a documentary, uh, on, on HBO where they, where you said after you'd go to the strip clubs, you would go to the kind of by the river where like homeless guys would be drinking and warming themselves by like the garbage yeah. can full of fire. Was that real? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Those are my people. Yeah, no kidding. Right? Yeah, those are my people. Some of the some of the most unbelievable conversations I had was with guys, you know, around the burning barrel. Would you? The only guys I related. This is the only guys I related to, right? You know. So what did that feel like to be, you know, playing in the world's most famous arena, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, to be capable of doing anything, but to feel at home in two places, one of which is the ice, and the other one is with homeless people. It's crazy. Right. Like attracts like, right? Uh, Like I have to admit, they were some of the most fucking intelligent conversations you know, I've ever had in my life. And you didn't and, need to lie to them about anything, right? No, no. And, and the commonality was trauma. You know, we all experience trauma, which takes us on a path of trying to cope with this emotional pain and suffering that nobody can see. You can't see emotional pain. You can't see that stuff, right? That's why people are so baffled by the behavior. And basically, what I, all I was doing was trying to seek out a connection where people understood, where I got compassion and empathy. And those homeless guys, they, they, they got it. That's right? because you could feel that they felt exactly where you were coming from. Like, it's a vibrational thing. Like, trauma, uh, like, knows trauma. It's, it's very, very deep, actually. Because uh, you don't even realize it. Like, when did you realize that you... Like, when did the word trauma even come into your, your world? It didn't until I got, you know, probably five, six, seven years into my sobriety when I started realizing that it was trauma that, that was my biggest problem. And my, the biggest obstacle I had to overcome was making sense of everything that happened. Right, right. A series of, of traumatic incidents, starting with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but before yep. we get to you getting better, I need to get to you getting worse. Um, 
What was I? Sorry, that's that's the arc of the, that's the arc of the attic that we need to follow. Um, oh yeah, I get it. I get it. I know you get it because you turned up in fucking you know crack houses in 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 Chicago and shit, right? Mm-hmm. Were you smoking crack or were you doing coke in those spots? Were you shooting no, coke? I, I was. Uh, no, no, I only snorted it. I didn't like crack, you know, none of that stuff. I didn't like crack either. Um, yeah. So when you when you would when when you're running with the worst kind of drug addict scene, and and then you have to show up at the rink, like just just describe it for us a little bit. It just became part of the routine, right? You know, I have a very, well, when you're in the best shape of your life, right, as an athlete, you know, you can you can get away with a lot of stuff, right? And I was super ultra talented too, which, you know, which was a curse and a blessing all at the same time, right? So I could show up at the rink, you know, half cut for practice and be totally fine and nobody would even notice. Right. So, so what does the bottom look like then? The bottom is 17, 16, 17 years ago, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth ready to pull the trigger and end my life. Not because I wanted to die, but because I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering. And I tried everything on the planet to fucking get rid of this feeling. And, you know. What did you try? The, you name it. Fuck, I was going to therapy. I'd been to treatment four times. Right. Nothing was really working, right? And, you know, I hadn't surrendered. I did. I was in complete denial that I had a fucking problem. You know, you know the deal, right? You know, and, uh, and then, uh, but I needed to go through that exercise because basically what it said is, you know, I actually wanted to live. I didn't want to die. Right. But I mean, I, I I wanna, my question, and I don't mean to interrupt you at all. My question is like, you're on this kind of like trajectory and you don't, you're in denial about everything. And like, how does it go from there to the pistol in your mouth? Like, what are the stops between there? I don't know. I think I was just, you know, I was just surviving basically. Right. And when you're in survival mode, you're, you know, you're not thinking clearly. You're not. And like I said, when you're an addict and an alcoholic, all you're thinking about is getting loaded. Where does that take you? Yeah, it takes you to fucking crazy places like crack houses in Chicago and, you know, going seven, eight levels below the city in New York City and hanging around with fucking transvestites and midgets and hookers and strippers and you name it. Well, that sounds not, right. that doesn't sound that bad. That sounds exciting. That sounds like some <laughs> kind of like fantastic <laughs> journey to the center of the earth or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I, I heard you talk about right before you put the pistol in your mouth that you were on some crazy coke bender where the cocaine psychosis was kicking in was the was the suicidal ideation moment as a direct result from that well i think it was a buildup of you know years of being in you know emotional pain and i was you know i'd been up for seven or eight days without any sleep and this thought popped in my head and so jumped in my truck drove, drove down to the local pawn shop and bought a gun and some bullets brought them back to my house and grabbed a bottle of vodka and a bunch of cocaine and you know poured out a bunch of whole cocaine out of scarface snorted a bunch of limes drank about a third of a bottle of fucking 
you know, of uh, vodka and then picked up the gun, loaded the gun and put it in my mouth, you know, so. So after that, and you realize you don't want to die, right? You, you, you realize that you're yeah. not ready to die. Where do you go? Where do I go? I, sorry, I moved back to Calgary. I knew if I was going to get my life straightened around, it was going to happen in Calgary because my kids were here, my ex-wives were here, my old teammates were here, friends were here. And I knew that, that uh, you know, Calgary would be the place if I was going to get my life straightened around, it was going to happen here. And that's exactly what happened. And so what was the first thing you did to get yourself on the right track? Like, had you done 12-step stuff then? or, or did, Oh, yeah. So did you know you were like, mm-hmm. I need to go to a fucking meeting? Like, that's the beginning. Yeah, I, I was not interested in going to any meeting at all. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, because what is, what is treatment? What is treatment? So you go to treatment for 30 days, what do, you, what do they do? They take away all of your coping mechanisms, and they fill you a belly full of AA, and then they fucking send you back out on, onto the streets again. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And you're, not, you're not dealing with what you need to deal with, you know? Alcohol is... Alcohol and drugs weren't my problem. You know, my problem was that I couldn't live life on life's terms because of my traumatic experiences that I had. And until I dealt with the with the trauma, I wasn't going to get sober. So how did that like start to really come to fruition? Like that you recognize well, that? I, I had, yeah, I had to get sober first. If I don't get sober, I'm, I can't think clearly, mm-hmm. right? Because what do we do? All we think about is getting loaded. I had to switch that mentality. Well, how do, you, how, do you, how do I do that? Well, I better fucking find some sort of spirituality, like, quick. <laughs> and, that, and that's what happened. You know, I hit my knees in a washroom, and I fucking had it out with God. And then at the end of the conversation, I said, God, take away the obsession. And you were, you were raised... You were raised pretty re- pretty religious, though, right? Well, if that's what you want to call it, I, I would say I, I was raised more fucking cult like. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not calling it anything. I'm just asking. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, right? But I remember somebody saying in a meeting one time that you get to pick your own god. I was like, wow, what a concept! That that night in the washroom, I actually fucking talked to the god that I actually, you know, believed in. What did you and, say? You just said, hey, please have this, have this obsession be lifted. Yeah, I said, take away the fucking obsession. And I went to bed, and the next day I woke up, and uh, that was uh, 5,883 days ago. That happened. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, like, you know, I mean, like, yesterday, right? Yesterday I got on my knees and I prayed. I'm, I'm like, redoing my sixth and seventh step just because whatever. Mm-hmm. And I got on my... Yep. On my Humble, knee- humbly asked humbly ask to remove all these fucking defects of character. I get it. All right. I think the last thing I said, right, was help me be a worker amongst workers, right? Uh, as, I'm, mm-hmm. as I'm getting up to, to face my day. And I had a cold, right? So I immediately decided that I shouldn't go to work at all. After, after praying to be a worker among workers, I decided I'm not going to go to work at all, and I deserve a day in bed. And I proceeded to fight with my wife and feel guilty and not do all the things that I had prayed for. 
And um, mm-hmm. it's amazing how that goes. Like I can turn my will and my life over to the care of my higher power and then forget in the next second. I mean, I'm sober, but I, I, it's, I struggle with that. Yeah. yeah. So we, tell me. We'll always, we'll always take it back. If we have the opportunity to take it back. Right. We will. We will. Right. And then what are we? We're irritable. We're restless. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Right, 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 right. right. You know? So when you, when you started, when you started opening the window to God and, and you started opening the window to spirituality, like how quickly did your life change and how quickly did your thought process change? Immediately. Like it happened like right away. Yeah. Uh, the people who struggle with addiction are the people who don't grasp onto the concept the God of my own understanding. That's what I find because I work in the, in the field. So, you know, it's one of the first questions I ask always with somebody who's coming to me and asking me for help is like, I go, where are you at with spirituality? And I would say the majority of people are pissed off at God. And I said, well, okay, well, let's just take the G-O-D out and let's talk about relationships. Like, how are your relationships? You know, how's the relationship with yourself? Because ultimately, I believe that spirituality is about relationships. And if I have a good relationship with myself, how do you think all of my other relationships are going to be? They're going to be the same. But if I'm angry and resentful and pissed off, that's how all of my relationships are going to be. Exactly the same. Right? Right. They'll totally reflect, reflect yourself. That's, that's cool. Yeah. I, I struggle. I mean, like, I have a, 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 a you know, higher power of my own understanding. But when you talk about it the way that you talk about it, and I hear people at the meetings talk about it the way they talk about it, it's a real gift. You know what I mean? Like when you can finally say, this is the higher power of my understanding, and I'm cool with that. It's like a superpower in itself. Yeah, Now, absolutely. When, when did the trauma work come around? You know, when did, when did the work around, you know, forgiveness and all that happen? Well, the trauma work happened when I started to acquire tools. Because basically every single thing in my life I dealt and, and what was in my toolbox was addictions, right? Alcohol, drugs, food, sex, gambling, fucking workaholism, right? Anything. Anything to distract me from feeling sadness, loneliness, anger, frustration, all those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had, to, I, had to, I had to get a new toolbox. That toolbox is filled with meditation and, uh, you know, spirituality and uh, breathing exercises. Because, you know, I not only do I have an addiction problem, I have a mental health issue too, right? I, I, I suffer from severe depression, anxiety, panic disorder, you know, you name it, right? So I need a toolbox, you know, that's filled with healthy, holistic practices, Right. Are you any any kind of medication for those things? Nope. Right. No. So, I, I am anti. I am anti big pharma. Okay. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't. I'm. I, I'm pretty anti big pharma too. But I think that if people need to take stuff, they need to take stuff. I don't take anything. I think I'm fortunate for that. Um, mm-hmm. But no, yeah. I don't judge yeah, there's any. Cer- there's certain like right. there's certain disorders that absolutely 100 percent you need. Medication, medication, bipolar, totally. bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, but I just have general depression, general anxiety, right? So, and I went down the road of, of 
you know, psych medication. I was, and I was more fucked up than I was before. And then through my, through my journey of spirituality, you know, I discovered a lot of, you know, techniques where I don't need medication. I just need connection. I need relationship. Be specific because this can help our audience. What kind of techniques do you find really work for your depression or your anxiety? Exactly what the two of us are doing right now. Just talking. Just talking about addiction. Yeah, being honest and open and fucking, you know, that's what it's all about. Honesty, openness, and willingness is talked about in the big book fucking 300 times. Right. 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 When you get to those three, when you get to those three three things, and if you can do those three things, that's fucking freedom. Yes. Freedom. I don't have to hide anything. I'm an open book. Right. Right. And speaking of which, you wrote your book in 2009. It's called Playing with Fire, and it's fucking hardcore. Is that when you went public with the rape and with all that stuff with this guy? What I was able to do in the trauma treatment stuff was was I was able to find the gift in, you know, my parents, the gift in my abuser, you know, all these things. I found the gift. Please explain that for me. Well, what does adversity give us? What does going through adversity give us? What does it build in us? Resilience. Exactly. Right? And when you have resilience, you know that no matter what the good Lord upstairs throws on your plate, you know you're going to figure it out. Right. And that's the gift. And that's why you have no regrets. It's the same thing. That's why I have no no regrets. Yeah. I've made apologies. But those experiences made me who I am today, good, bad, or indifferent. So many people get caught up in, you know, oh, I hurt this person or I did this or whatever. No, this is part of your plan. This is part of your life. And the reason why you were given these experiences is so that you would learn. Totally. How do we learn? We, we learn by making mistakes. Absolutely. The only way we learn, right? Absolutely. So, and, and people are so caught up in shame and guilt and all those things. Those things fucking kill us. If we don't get rid of them, if we don't make sense of them. We're haunted by them. We're haunted by them. We never yeah. get to get to shed yeah. them. No, I know exactly what you mean. And, um, and the book, you know, is this incredible testimony to surviving. But the most powerful part is all the other people that got help from your trauma and you actually facing yeah. them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you you yeah. described like these kids showing up at your book signings. You know, and, yeah. and like, and what it meant to you to see them showing up. Yeah. Well, and it's a daily occurrence. Yeah. Every day, every day, somebody reaches out because they've either heard a podcast, saw an interview, watched my documentary, read my books. So, and that's how it works. And the mission now is to end the stigma around trauma and and sexual abuse and addiction yeah and mental health right mental illness they all have stigma attached to them and that's why uh trauma mental health and addiction is the biggest epidemic on the planet it's not covid19 it's a disaster absolutely absolutely and 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 all that covid's done is it's just added another layer of trauma to our already traumatized history 
Right. Not being able to see our friends or our families or, or be, exactly. be engaged in the universe in a way that makes us comfortable and free. Exactly. No, I'm with you. I hear you. Um, 100%. You're, you said, I heard you say that you pray for willingness on a daily basis. That's it. So when you pray for willingness, what are you willing to do? Anything. Right. Anything. Anything. Oh, you, I've got a couple more very controversial questions. Can you hang with that? No. Okay. In that movie, your ex-wife really gives you shit. How do you deal with that? That's her shit. I thought you were going to you know? say that. And what about your brother? Mm -hmm. Same thing? Same thing. Yep. Go to Al-Anon. And how are your relationships with your kids these days? Awesome. Good. Yeah. Step nine, we get to make, you know, get to make amends to people, right? Absolutely. We get to apologize, we, we get to apologize and, and we try to do better. Totally. I love the word try in, in the amends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. We get to try yeah. to do better. Absolutely. Now, as, yeah. as I've explained to you, our show originally started out as like the show about fucked up, juicy, horrible drug stories. Um, mm -hmm. Before you go, can you think of one thing in your prodigi prodigious drug addict career, some crazy fucking drug story? <laughs> Just give me one. Uh, okay, so when I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, I was living out in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. on two on two Jack Nicholas golf courses. And so if I wanted to get into trouble, I would go to Albuquerque. And so I was spending way too much time there and getting into way too much trouble. And I was fucking driving high and drunk back to Santa Fe. Right. So I used to go to this strip joint called uh, TD's North in Santa Fe. And uh, I got to be really good friends with one of the bouncers that worked there. So I said to him, I said, I said, uh, how much are they paying you here? Oh, they're paying me X. I said, well, I said, would you like to come work for me? And he's like, what do you mean work for you? I go, well, I need somebody to drive me around. I need somebody to buy my drugs. I need somebody to transport all the strippers from Albuquerque <laughs> to Santa Fe yes. to, to stay, at, stay at my house. And so, you know, this guy worked for me for about a year. And unfortunately, he fucking overdosed on me one night uh, at home. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. So, did he die? No, he's still he's still living. What was the OD? On cocaine. Oh yeah, yeah. That's rare, right? The cocaine overdose oh, is the <laughs> is the rare, right? Rare. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, what about NHL? But like, but, but like you know, but like I said, you know. I, there was very few people that could keep up to me, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the carnage, the carnage that was left behind, you know, after some of these parties I had, there was fucking bodies all over the place and I'd still be going fucking, you know, like a bat out of hell. These people would all be fucking laying around, passed out, and fucking, fucking crazy shit. I get it. And the battery in your back is you and the trauma and, and your ability. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. 
That's wild. So, yeah. What about you? Ever get high with Lenny Dykstra? No, I wish I did. <laughs> I heard he was a. I heard he was a beauty. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Oh my God, I really appreciate your time. Theo, like, uh, I appreciate yeah. your honesty and, and, and everything. It's awesome. And, and you're the first Canadian hockey player on Dopey. There you go. <laughs> so that's cool. But, you know, you, you, you just, all you're doing is surviving. That's all you're doing. You know, and you're, you know, you're seeking connection. What's the opposite of addiction? Connection, right? And when I finally plugged into, you know, life on life's terms, you know, I got better. And, and I got honest. Totally. And, and how often do you, do you, how often are you confronted with, with, with uh, survivors of sexual abuse and, 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 and rape and all this kind of stuff? Every single day. Every and, single day I get, an e- I get an email or a private message. When someone says, I can't get over what happened to me, like what do you say? Yeah. Well, I say, do you have a time machine? And they're like, what do you mean a time machine? I go, well, you can't go back and change it, right? You can't change the past. Stop living in your past. And you can change the future. Right. And if you want me to help you, if you want me to help you, I can, I can help you change the future. But you have to do absolutely every single thing I tell you. Right. To do. That's surrender, right? I said, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to fucking put an end to all this fucking insanity? And the people who are willing get better. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I have fucking millions of stories of debauchery and craziness. But that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, the reason why I did all those crazy things is because I was in emotional pain. And I didn't know how to deal with the emotional pain. And I got sober and I started looking at the emotional pain. And, you know, that, that emotional pain actually started turning into peace and joy and happiness and serenity. Right, because that's the ultimate goal. That's where we're trying to get to, emotionally, is peace, joy, happiness, and serenity. That's that's the ultimate goal. Totally. Well, how do I get there? How do I get there? Honesty, openness, and willingness. I appreciate it, man. And and I, I hear what you're saying. And I think, how old were you when you got sober? September 18, 2005, is my sobriety date. So I don't even know how old I was. 36, maybe 37. Right on. Wow. 37. Yeah. You are you are a fucking survivor, man, and I really do appreciate your time. And sorry for my fucking technical ineptitude at the beginning. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. I told you this would be this would be the greatest podcast you've been on this week. Did I did I was I right? It was. See? Yeah. There you go. Well, I uh I'll tell you again. I really appreciate you coming through. And uh when we're when I'm in New York next time I'll I'll look you up. I would love that. Please do. Okay, brother. All right, so that was pretty cool. That was Theo Fleury on the show. And now the great Aaron Carr has returned to my father's apartment for another ending the dopey properly. Welcome back, Aaron. Thank you. Hello, hello. And we are in a different we are in a different room than yes. my dad. Now we're in the dining room instead of the kitchen. And it was so bright I had to ask Dave to, to put the shade down a little bit. Well, and now? And now it's great. All right, cool. I, I'm light sensitive. Right. Does it give you migraines? It gives it my does. daughter migraines. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Do you wear thick, dark sunglasses? I like to wear a sunglass, yeah. I'm surprised you <laughs> didn't bust them out for the show. 
could have. Well, I was going to say if you wanted what I was going to tell you before you put it down. I'm like, I can just put my sunglasses on and then I'd look really cool. You would, but nobody would see you so, <laughs> no. except me. And then I'd feel like what's going on under the glasses. <laughs> now, that was the great Theo Fleury. And um, I think the, like I think when you're on the show after an interview, mm-hmm. I like to say what I wish I had done differently first. Okay. And the one thing that I really wish I had, the one thing that I wish I had done differently mm-hmm. was asked him what it's like to be such a tough guy who mm. now his currency is all vulnerability. Right. Like that's an interesting duality, I think. And I, I bet, I bet right. you would have something interesting to say. And about. he was a big, he was kind of known for fighting. I mean, he was one of the guys that often got in fights, wasn't he? In you know, I, 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 that's another thing that I, I wanted to say, like, but I'm such not a hockey fan right. that I was like, why isn't there more fighting in hockey anymore? I was the best part. <laughs> but like I saw a bunch of clips of him. He would take his stick and fucking break it. Yeah. And like and he missing a tooth. And he was very handsome and quick on the ice. And a lot of hockey players are very handsome and then they lose all their teeth. Well, why? <laughs> I, that's interesting because I think it's the rough and tumble hockey player. Mm-hmm. Athletes, I think, well, you're a woman and, mm-hmm. and you're attracted to men. Mm-hmm. So why don't you break down why hockey players tend to be attractive? Well, I'm not 100% sure. I just went through like a hockey phase. Why? I went through because I was hanging out with people who were watching. Ho- it was like they were really, the LA Kings were like doing well. And seems like you had a lot of phases. <laughs> so many phases. I've said, like, I've lived a hundred lives, you know, and part of that. You, is, you contain multitudes. I contain multitudes. <laughs> what, is, what does he say? And I contain multitudes. I think he says, I like fast women and I like fast food. I contain multitudes. Okay, is that the line? I don't, I hope so. I mean, dude, I like, us. I like that line. That's Bob Dylan as an old man. Yeah. I like fast women. women. and I like fast food. I, I should Google it. Yeah, but, go- but, but Google t- it. Tell, but, t- what did so you like about this guy? What I like about him particular, in particular, I mean, he was really good. That's why, I mean, I, when you told me that that's who you were going to be interviewing, I was excited because he was of the era in which I was watching hockey. Um, he, was, he was also really small for a hockey player, which is unusual. My favorite hockey player at that time, just like side note, was Luke Robitaille, who played on the LA Kings. I loved him. Yeah, I'm not um, familiar with Mr. Robitaille. I don't know. I don't know why I liked him, but I did. But um, then a guy that oh, I... Oh, no, he doesn't say that. No, he doesn't? He says... <laughs> I wish he'd said that. He says... He says, I sing the songs of experience like William Blake. I have no apologies to make. Everything's flowing all at the same time. I live on the boulevard of crime. I drive fast cars and I eat fast uh, foods. I contain multitudes. But I bet you in a, in a previous... fast women. I bet you in a previous uh, Dylan uh, version, he, he wrote the fast women. Then he was like, I don't want to get canceled. So he changed it to fast cars. Why, but why would you get canceled for that? Because you don't. People don't want to hear that women are fast. I think that's a cancelable adjective to describe a woman as fast. So you know what's weird about that, though. I know this is a real sidetrack, but like somebody like calling somebody fast, 
I feel like that's like a good thing. I, I'm not just thinking of it in terms of like sexually, but like just like you want to be fast. You want to be quick. But if Dylan <laughs> was saying he likes fast women right. and he likes fast food, he would be saying that they're sexually fast. It's an right. old school like right. that. I understand. Fast I hear women. It's exciting. <laughs> um, now back to Mr. Yes. Flory. More importantly, what I loved about Mr. Flory it's interesting because dopey, the currency of dopey is the how it was, mm -hmm. right? The worst shit we ever did. Right. And Mr. Flurry is all about what it is now. And his, right. his I, I can't even call him Theo because I know his name is Theron. Right. And I don't think he really likes Theo. I think of Theo Huxtable from The Cosby but then, Show. But everybody... Because people can't say Theron properly. That's why he has Theo. Yeah. Right. So I call him Mr. Flurry. Right. And, um, and I believe that uh, Mr. Flurry is really wants people to get through their fucking tragedy. Did mm -hmm. you, and how did you as a, as a survivor mm -hmm. of rape mm -hmm. relate to this very tough man's survival of rape? Um, well, I mean, look, anybody who talks about these kinds of things publicly, I have a lot of admiration for, especially for men, because I think that it's like, as hard it is as hard as it is for women to come forward with tales of like sexual abuse and rape i think it's infinitely harder for men because of like our cultural stigma crap right. you know um and it it's funny because the day before i had been horseback riding with my trainer who's like the president of the ushj which is the u.s hunter jumper association and she's a big part you don't of need to tell me what the ushj is <laughs> she's a big part of what brought me? safe sport to equestrian sports so safe sport for anybody that doesn't know is like a governing body that looks into abuse allegations because i know you asked him a question about like if this was prevalent in hockey i think it's prevalent across all sports where there is a, when there is a there's a coach or an instructor in a position of power who spends tons of time with a kid it happened in the equestrian sports like my the very first guy i ever rode with was like banned last year because he had abused all these kids. Had he done anything? Had he done anything to not, me? Yeah, no, untoward? No no, no, no. Well, you know, Mr. Fleury kind of like, when I asked him if it was a hockey thing or mm -hmm. a sports thing, he was like, no, it's a systemic thing. Yeah. You know, beyond, but, but I mean, I mean, in education and religious education, it's totally, it's, we went, um, my family went to the mall the mm -hmm. other night. We, we had a lovely evening and we went to the Olive Garden and uh, there's a long wait. So like you have to like do something in the right. time. So we went to the mall and we were going to buy jewelry for Susan. Mm -hmm. But then the Olive Garden texted that the table was right. So you have to run right. back to the Olive Garden. <laughs> and then after dinner, we went back to the mall and they were closing. OK. And, and we, Linda decided that Susan should play in the horrible play area in the mall. And Susan loved it. Uh -huh. um, but there was this kind of creepy guy on the edge mm -hmm. of the horrible play area in the mall. And, and Linda was like very focused on this guy. And I was like, he's probably one of these kids' grandparents and like whatever, whatever. But like, I don't consider pedophiles in my just in my daily routine. It doesn't right. pop into my head. But obviously it's a systemic thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's so, uh, we know, it's so much more prevalent than we think. And unfortunately, whenever somebody is in a position of power, particularly one that supersedes their parental authority, because for anyone who's pursued a sport to the degree that he did, mm. which 
you know, when I was really into horseback riding, like I thought I was going to go train for the Olympics and the trainer who was my trainer's trainer who came to scout me, George Morris, was also banned from the wow. U.S. Equestrian Federation. Now, he preferred men, but... um but yeah, I mean, it's really, 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 and we know about it in gymnastics and obviously with religious leaders, particularly within the Catholic Church. I mean, it's it's uh, it's so important that people like Flurry are talking about it because here you have, like, as you said, like this rough and tumble hockey player who's who was that and yet he was also raped i think he said 150 times by his coach who's a well-known figure in hockey yeah it's just it's disgusting and then the coach like did like a year and a half over it mm-hmm. and and flurries like kept out of the nhl hall of fame right but um like it reminded me also of like sandinsky who was the guy sandusky jerry sandusky yeah yeah disgusting you know, in football right it's just it's just horrible but the thing that i the thing that i was most keyed in on this interview was like for in my drug addiction like when it got bad it was obvious mm-hmm. and there was like there wasn't there were no bright lights on me and even the bright lights on me were dim enough that they didn't really hit me right meaning like i knew when the wheels came off like i knew each thing that it was worse and worse and worse. And because he was the center of attention, because he was the superhero, because he was also just like the $50 million hockey player, Mm -hmm. he didn't really notice it get bad because he was in such denial. And I think that's interesting. And you, you kept a lot of your, I didn't keep my addiction hidden at all. Yeah. You know, no, I really, really, I actually, I think I even made notes about that. I related to that. I mean, obviously I wasn't a star hockey player, but I, when I was horseback riding, which was during like my teenage drug use years, I wouldn't, I wasn't high when I rode in competition or when I was at the barn, like I was, like I was present and like not high because I couldn't, I, I'm not going to get on a horse high, you know what I mean? Um, but, but as he said, like, you know, that doesn't mean for like practices and things, maybe he wasn't at a hundred percent, but him at 50% is still really good. No, right? I, lo- I loved when he talked about like, like comp- being at the elite of the elite mm-hmm. of the elite because he put in those hours. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love that kind of talk. Yeah. I, I'm like the most elite television watcher right. in the, I'm like the elite of the, I put in my fucking 10,000 hours. television critic. I, 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 I think I, well, no, I didn't put in the hours in television Writing. criticism. I, I'm, I put in the hours in watching. I'm an elite, elite, elite <laughs> watcher of TV. But like, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it was an honor. To, we never had a hockey player. No. We rarely have. We have sports. a bunch of sports people coming up, but we rarely get a sports person. And, and like, he was cool. And and I didn't tell him that I, that I don't like Canadians and that I don't respect them because I was scared he could, <laughs> wait, like, what? Wait, you've mentioned this before. You yeah. do. You have a weird. Yeah, anti-Canadian why? streak. Like, I, I don't know. They're kind of like the most benign. No, of, no. No? They, That's they, why you don't like them. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like Canadians really for a couple of reasons mm-hmm. the the number one reason is because when i waited tables they would they those people uh-huh. would them would come <laughs> into the restaurant and act all nice and i have a certain level of telepathy and i knew they were thinking bad thoughts and they kept those bad thoughts away from me <laughs> and they acted like everything was cool but so i knew like, they're like the british they're like snakes <laughs> those was canadian no 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 the english the english always had a little thing to say 
They had something. The English, right. the English could 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 try. Yes. But the English have to let something slip. Yeah, that's true. And the second they let something slip, you can just club right. that thing. The Canadians <laughs> don't let anything slip. Right. You know, they're just too good. When I lived in Paris, like I would go to London sometimes through like that Channel Tunnel, and. Whenever I would come back to Paris, I'd be so relieved because there was, and I have friends that are, that are British and Scottish who I adored, but like I would come back and I'd feel like there was this level of like hostile politeness that, that I'd sense while I was there that would really bother me. In England. In England. And then I'd come back to France and like, if somebody's a jerk, they're just a jerk. Listen. Like there's no hidden politeness. You know, it's not hiding under politeness. I don't think that there's a hostile, polite. First of all, I don't hate Canadians. Secondly, I hear phone ringing. Is it ringing in yeah, our it's house? It's in your house. It's yeah. my fucking dad's <laughs> fucking phone again. Hold on for a second. Time out. You can't just turn the ringer off and then turn it back on. Do you not know the legend of I my dad's phone? I know he has phones? like a zillion phones. He has six phones. Right. So we shut six ringers off. Mm -hmm. No, but he gets angry if I if I tamper with his phone. But what if you? Make a little post-it note for yourself. So you turn it off and then turn it back on after the show. No, you won't remember. I kind of enjoy the, the chaos. All right. Kinda, <laughs> I mean, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> and I just want to say that I don't really... Dis I, disliking Canadians is one of the I more fun aspects of the show. Being hostile towards right. Canadians, it, it, it pleases me. I don't know. I, I've, I've known a lot of good Canadians. Oh, give me a break. Who? Name two. Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Neil Young is a good Canadian. I have to tell you, like, I, I, he's not somebody I know. I met him once, like, for like a second. Who? Neil Young. And I, it was like one of the only times in my life I ever felt starstruck. Tell me the story, please. It's not a very exciting story. Uh, you met Neil Young. I want to hear the story. I was working in a boutique in LA uh -huh. and he came Where in. Where you met Johnny Depot in the same? <laughs> no, it was a different place. How many boutiques did you work at? This was a place that I worked at like before I had like that really bad crack relapse where like I was doing, I don't know. I saw in your notes that, you, dis that you disrespected Flurry for not being a crackhead like you. I didn't disrespect him in my notes. I just said it always surprises me when somebody just sticks with snorting something and they never try it like the other ways. Did you shoot Coke too? Yeah. But no, I didn't. I, honestly, the only way, the only time I ever did a ton of Coke was when I was smoking crack. I, you know, Coke like didn't affect me. Mm. Like it was, you know, I mean, I think that's another thing in itself. It's just the way our body chemistries work, the way our yeah. brain chemistries work. Some drugs just affect people differently. I shot speed too. I liked that better than Coke. And then crystal I also shot or what? Ketamine. What kind of what crystal meth? Like good crystal meth. I shot really bad crystal. No, I didn't, my, I, this was good stuff. Did, where did you get it? From somebody I knew in L.A. Was it Johnny Depot? No. Was it Neil Young? Did Neil Young come oh, in with the Neil good Young. crystal? Who came in with the good crystal? And what did they say? How did you no, know I mean, it so, had the pedigree? Well, because it was somebody I know, I mean, who I'm still friends with, who was getting it from somebody... I would I would get it from friends of mine who were in San Francisco. That was where I got the best crystal meth, was from friends of mine in San Francisco. Then they would bring it down to LA. And then I don't know if you remember from the book for a brief period of time, I dated a guy who was like a dealer and I had like that suitcase full of like huge rocks, huge crystals of crystal meth in a metal suitcase in the trunk of my Jetta. <laughs> okay. So you had huge crystal crystalline crystals yeah. of, of meth that your friend sold. See, I'm, I'm really fascinated with briefcase full of drug stories. Can we talk about 
like the A1 idiot I was that I was like, I'll just leave it in my trunk. So stupid. But that's, I guess, the audacity of the white privilege that I had because I like I wasn't worried about getting pulled over. But listen, you got lucky. I got really, white, white, really brown, lucky. yellow, green, red. It's really like I, I got if I got pulled over with a briefcase in my trunk now, right. I could see something going wrong, yeah. even with all of my glorious white privilege. <laughs> yeah. And then I, at a certain point, I was like, I just need to get rid of this because of what the fuck am I doing? And you were usually shooting the crystal or smoking no, the crystal? No, no, no. Then I wasn't shooting. I was just snorting it. You were snorting the crystal. Yeah, it was really good. And actually that. Why didn't you smoke the crystal? You smoked crack, but you snorted the crystal. I think that's uh, I interesting. I smoked crack later on. I have smoked crystal. I like in in my drug career, I had, but I, I didn't then. I didn't like snorting crystal. It hurt. It does. It hurt so yeah. bad. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked that burn. I hear you. I mean, I didn't. I didn't but I like, like it. that smell that it leaves behind in your nose. And I think I've to- we've talked about this before. Like, will you go someplace and like, like I'm like, oh, like that smells like like crystal <laughs> like there's like a weird smell well a burning a crystal a sm- i smell the 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 burning crystal smell from no, time it's to time not even it's, the burn. It's, it's like the smell like when you snort it the smell that's in your nose where i'm like i wonder if somebody has like made some or passed through with a large quantity it has a specific smell i wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with like the cut like the chem yeah the- that could be true the chemicals and and flurry, you know, you and I are are, are getting into the how it was right. quite quickly. <laughs> I know he didn't really want to do that. He didn't want to do it. No. And um, I wonder, like, and first of all, also, like, he played. I don't know when he played on the Rangers, but I wanted to know where the that was the end of his career. Where, no, it was like the third before the end. It was, oh, it was? It was right. It was in. It was I think a, it was towards to, the end. Fine. I, it, he was like past peak at that point. Right, but he also was going. He was like he he was going to the river to hang out with the bums in the right. garbage can with the fire. Right. I, I don't think you can find a garbage can with fire in Manhattan anymore. We were just talking about before we recorded this, like the old New York. <laughs> And then the middle New York and the now New York, right? But garbage cans full of fire are not often no, found no, in no. Manhattan. But they used to be. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was ubiquitous. I mean, remember the West Side, I mean, the West Side Highway used to be, it, like, it baffles me when I, I mean, I, I really, really hate the, uh, what's the, I can't even remember, Hudson River Park, like, annoys me. Which one? The Hudson, the. The High Line. No, not the High Line. The, the big project that they did here with that horrendous like statue that everybody kept jumping off of so they closed it why am i not thinking of the name of it hudson yards hudson yards thank yes. you like i mean you know what that area was like it wasn't that far from here it's right here yeah <laughs> it's right here but like you don't like hudson yards i think it's like the, one of the biggest like idiot moves in sort of urban planning why yeah. do you i mean i don't like it because it doesn't. It looks. It reminds it looks me crappy. of. It reminds me of what's that? Uh, that place in Los Angeles, something city, Studio City, or Century City, whatever. Right. I, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it belongs here. No. But if you look at the city skyline, there's a lot of buildings that just don't, don't look, look like, like they belong anymore. For sure. And th- there's just a disrespect right. of New York City architecture mm-hmm. in the in mm-hmm. these kind of times. But at the same time. I enjoy the bouginess of the High Line. And the I like hi- the High Line. No, the High Line was a great project because they took this like decaying elevated rail line, right? And then made it into something. And then, but like it winds up at Hudson Yards. So like, yeah, what are you going to do? I know. Dr. Drew lives over there. Really? Dr. Drew lives there. I used to do catering over there. That's so There's funny. a big mall. 
So I, 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 I've been, I've done so many jobs at Hudson Yards that I yeah, feel a little sure. bit protective of it now. All right. Okay. I don't love it. And then if you walk down Eighth Avenue in the early morning mm-hmm. and you look west mm-hmm. at the Hudson Yards, the sun hits the building in this way that it creates this spooky, mystical what, that, waviness. That sculpture thing? I don't know. It's the building. What's that thing called? That thing? It's called, <laughs> I, I think of it as the hive. The hive. I think it is called the hive. I don't know. Ray always would talk about the suicides off of that thing. They keep closing it because everybody keeps jumping off of it. Well, it looks like a great thing it to does. jump off of. It's like the NYU library. <laughs> Did you ever see that? I know. I'm, we're really like going on side tangents but did you ever see that movie um the bridge about like it was about all the suicides off the golden gate bridge but some of the people that were interviewed and it survived no really you elite television and documentary no i watch i watch crap i don't watch i don't watch (gasps) although i mean that's on my notes which is like I've been sick, right? You want to talk talk about the bridge? Let me hear about you. Oh, no, there's not, I just you should watch it. It's about like all of these. There's footage because of like the cameras that they had there of people jumping off the bridge. It's it's, and there's people who survived it, and that's really interesting. And and like sort of the history of 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 it, and 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 all the things that have happened there. And there are people that like there was somebody who survived their fall, and then came back and did it again and didn't survive their fall. Like, wow. I think that's interesting. Like his suicide, Mr. Flurry's suicide ideation. Mm-hmm. Like he had the gun in his hand. Yep. He had the gun in his mouth mm-hmm. and he knew that he didn't want to die. Well, that was what in the, in the bridge, what a lot of people who survived said is that right after they jumped, they realized they didn't want to die. Right. You know, every, I think that's common. I mean, for, I think that, that, that I shouldn't say that's common. I think that that does happen for a lot of people. Well, every time my family goes on vacation, mm-hmm. we'll drive across the Throgs Neck Bridge yeah. or the Whitestone Bridge mm-hmm. and, and the... Cuomo. I guess it's called the, the Tappan Zee. Is it Cuomo right. now? I don't know. I don't know. One of those bridges. But it'll always be Tappan Zee to me. And Nora, <laughs> Nora, Tappan Zee is a good, good name. It is. Nora, all, every time we drive across the bridge, she, she asks these two questions. Number one. Do you think you would die if you jumped off this bridge? Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, she says, do people jump off this bridge to die? Right. Every time we drive across any bridge, those are her top two questions. I don't know if you remember this from living in L.A. There is a bridge in Pasadena off the 134 called its nickname is the Suicide Bridge. And it's a beautiful old bridge. It's a gorgeous bridge. And they have like special like sort of chicken wire fencing to, to prevent, prevent people right but it had i mean it was everyone calls it the suicide bridge i don't even know what the name of the bridge is i don't know either it goes like near the rose bowl like over the arroyo okay you don't remember thank it. you thank you for this great tangent <laughs> in bridges i was sick i was sick this week and i had an opportunity to get into my television watching mm-hmm. and i watched a few programs and i don't know if you're watching these shows or mm-hmm. not do you watch, did you watch the new Curb Your Enthusiasm? I haven't. You know, I didn't even watch, like, I, I'm really behind. I didn't watch the last season. Wow. Then you Seth is, like, obsessed. That's my husband. He's obsessed. I don't know if he's watched this one yet. I find the music, the last season was probably the best season. Mm-hmm. So you're in for a treat. I know. I need it's to It's really it. good. And uh, I find the music to just instill, like, you can't find a better place for me than to right. have a sore throat, a headache, bleary eyes, right. and... 
playing like that's the so you didn't see that i didn't but i did see that you posted it on your instagram stories and there was a box of kleenex next to you i wanted to show that i was in my happy sick place <laughs> no because you it wasn't a sock <laughs> wow on the i mean but uh, the reason you don't even want to know about this morning oh my god oh, no. i mean my sock it's like people often describe masturbating into socks right i've never done that right like i i don't need to go into what i've done no. but the sock that I use on the train for to blowing my nose is become like it looks like a sock that many people have masturbated. In. It is so. So if somebody saw it, they'd be yes, like, "Oh, he for yeah. sure jerked off into this." Sock. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> and this morning, I'm sitting on the train, and I'm not like blowing my nose, and shit, right? But all of a sudden, I sneeze, yeah. and mucus Ugh, flies. The worst. And this man who's sitting behind me mm -hmm. gets up and walks away. <laughs> I would too. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You would have said somebody sneezed all over me. Yeah, I didn't sneeze on him. No. I just sneezed, and he was just like, "I'm gone." Well, he doesn't want to get sick. Now, I think we should get into Ask okay. Aaron. All right, I'm going to ask you about any, more TV. Is there anything else that we need to say about Flurry? I feel like there is. Hold on, let me just look at my notes. I thought it was. I mean, I'm always impressed when people know their number of days, which I quickly did the math at. So, he's got a little over 16 years. So I'm a couple years ahead of him. <laughs> Um, so competitive. I know. Uh, I do. I like like a lot of what he said. So how many days do you have? Big time. Big time, Aaron Carr. I don't know. I don't know. I have like, I don't even know my exact date. It was like the first week of March in 2003. Okay. But I don't know the exact. I could probably look it up. And so you don't have, you don't I have don't a figure. Days. No. no. He does. Yeah. To this day. I know. What's, um, what else you got? So I liked what he talked about. Like at first, like I was like, oh, he's like going to get real God on things. But then I did like that. He talked about like his definition of spirituality were like our relationships and connection. And I totally think that. And I like that he recognized that trauma is for a lot of people, including himself, is the source of the addiction. And that the addiction itself is just your shitty coping mechanism as a response to trauma, because I do agree with that. One thing I do want to say for anybody who listened to it. I know he said he was like anti big pharma and he's like, oh, well, there's exceptions if like somebody's like schizophrenic or has bipolar disorder. But like as somebody who decided to go back on medication um, when I had seven years sober, I think that. Didn't you like the way I handled it, though? I said everyone should take whatever they need. Yes, I did. It's I very inclusive. That. I mean, because I think that like a lot of times what I experienced when I was just doing like 12 steps and like there was there were some people who were like, oh, if you take Wellbutrin, you're not sober, which is complete bullshit. Um, I, I saw a lot of other people, too, that maybe needed. There are a lot of people who end up in recovery who also have co-occurring mental health issues. And when they don't get them treated, they're far more likely to relapse. And I know like you guys talked about like that all it takes is a willingness and that's bullshit. It does take a willingness. You have to be willing, but that's not all it takes. What do you mean? Um, there was towards the end of the interview. It's funny. You, you defended Dr. Carl Hart snorting fucking Afghani heroin by the fire for the whole fucking episode. Now you're getting, you're no, going no, 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 against no, no. us talking about the goodness of no, willingness. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that willingness isn't good and it is necessary, but 
he said like all you need is or like so there you guys were talking about like all you really need you is got it. now you're gonna you guys this, but okay <laughs> and what's and your point I agreed with like almost everything he yes. said i'm just saying that i'm saying this for anyone who's listening because not everybody who is listening to dopey right now is sober no. not everybody who's living listening to dopey right now is you know is just doing 12 steps there's a lot of people who listen who are doing medicated assisted treatment there are a lot of people Hold who on, are slow down what are, you, what are you talking about what does that have to do with willingness because it's not just willingness. I don't want people th to think that like if they relapsed that they hadn't been willing. I think that, that No, no. I think I think his point. Yes. And and I've I've gone to a similar place as, as he goes to. If you're capable of having like crazy willingness. Yes. You're capable of of doing a lot of things. A hundred percent. I think that was his point. Okay, I, and I agree with that. I just, I always just think of it like the way that I always think about it. It's not for me. Like I'm like I'm solid, like in where I'm at in my recovery. But I always think of like the person who may be listening and feel like they really want it, but they don't know. If They're they not willing. Get... They're not willing to not take Suboxone. They're not willing to not smoke weed. And it's weed. not about willing. They j That just may be what they need right now, and that's okay. That's all I'm saying. I I'm saying this just, just so that anyone who's listening... Feels included. It feels included because I think that especially when people are like struggling or they're in early, early recovery you can hear something and it can fuck with your head. Right, you resent it. Because it it's I like, a, yeah, I don't want it to fuck with anyone's head. That's all. Okay. So it's like one of those things where you do not have to be willing to do anything in order to get sober. No. However, it helps. Well, no, I think supreme willingness <laughs> mm -hmm. is like the ultimate cheat code to recovery. Right. Like, I don't disagree with you. Mm -hmm. And I think there are, you know, multitudes mm -hmm. of people out there <laughs> who like have their method of recovery, right. their path to recovery. And I say, you know, more power to right. me. Awesome. I think willingness is a great cheat code, though. Willingness is, listen, I had to be willing to go get treatment for my trauma and mental health issues or I wasn't going to stay sober. I couldn't do it. Well, you are also willing to not do 12 step. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, there's, yes, a, there's, that's there's, true, there's, that's true too. I was willing to be like, I need to try something else because I'm doing, I'm banging my head against a wall. So yes, I agree with all that. And like, I, like I said, it's not so much for me that I'm saying this right now. It's just that I'm don't really worry sensitive. about them. No, just speak for yourself. Okay. No, Leave I'm them out of this to the people because look, I can already tell from the ask Aaron questions that we get that there are a lot of people who are listening to this and are fucking struggling. Listen, People are, everybody's struggling. Well, you know, everyone, even if you're doing well, you're struggling. All right. Life is suffering. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> but willingness is one of those words that can be molded into a lot of yes. different things. So, but I hear, I hear your right. point. That was, I just had to tag that little thing on there, but I was impressed by a lot of things he said. I really liked what he said about his version of spirituality is all about the relationships that we have and the connections that we have with other people, because that's right. I'm like right there with him on that. Like, I definitely think that that um, connection, like addiction equals disconnection. So like everything that we do in recovery is about connecting. That's what you and I are doing here right now, like connecting with each other, having this conversation and with everybody listening. Sorry, I'm talking really fast. That's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening equal, equally <laughs> as fast. But I think that, uh, I think all that is true. I think uh, the coolest thing about Mr. Flory is that he was, remarkably honest yes and he was really talking about honesty open-mindedness and willingness mm -hmm. as a triad mm -hmm. um and like listen 
you can be a fucking liar who's unwilling to do anything and still get well. There's no reason sure. you can't you can't make your own path. These are just easier ways to do it. Now today we're gonna do one <laughs> one ask Aaron question. Okay. So it's you better a lot of pressure. It just better be one. a good one. Be- Which one do you want to do? I don't know. Whatever one. I don't care. Whatever you okay. like. Okay. Uh, do we want to do let's, this one's juicier, right? Like they don't want to hear the other one. All right, do it. All right. Hi, Aaron. I just listened to the dopey episode you did and I need some advice. Uh Oh, I've been addicted to pills, opiates for the last four years. No one knows, not my wife, not my kids, not one single friend. When I was younger, I'd taken oxy recreationally, but it didn't really amount to anything. Then cut to four years ago, we had our second kid and things in my relationship with my wife just disintegrated. It's not really anyone's fault. I care about her, but I don't think we are in love with each other. Uh oh. Anyway, I became really depressed. And if I'm honest, I think I've had depression most of my life. I went home to help take care of my dad after his back surgery and the pills were there and I took one and it just clicked. Now I feel like my whole life is structured around making sure I have enough pills to feel okay and to not get sick, obviously, which must be really hard now that pills are harder for people to get. I know this can't go on. In some ways, my marriage has been better because it's like my wife and I have separate lives, but we can play family. I'm I, sure I'm sure he can order it off the off like, dark web. Yeah, or even off like Craigslist or something. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm sure it's Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's that's doable. Chris just, Chris would get his drugs off like weird mainstream right, right, right. websites. But continue, please. I just don't even know where to begin. I make a good living. I love my kids, but I feel like I'm drowning. I know I have to stop, but I don't want to go to rehab. I'm also afraid that without the drugs, my wife and I won't make it. Sorry for rambling. I'm not sure what my question is. I guess where do I begin here? I have the answer. Okay. Willingness. This guy needs to find some fucking willingness to fucking do something. Like, I I don't know. In my experience, I've never been able to get out of a habit without being willing to go away. Like, fucking holy shit. Like, this guy guy needs a break. I I recommend practicing willingness, taking a break, fucking admit it. Put your hands up. You fucked it up. It's over. You know, admit it. Admit that it's done. And get on the path. Now go to the pro, the non-licensed <laughs> therapist advice. Ask Aaron. Well, I mean, I agree that I think that, I mean, I think the really nice thing about going away somewhere is that you have uh, a safe time, a safe place and, and time to sort of process the acute <laughs> the acuteness of what you're dealing with without the outside world interfering. Or just the pressure of knowing that yeah. you can go use. I mean, yeah, that's, that's for, that's for me. That was like the, no, I could not mm-hmm. get well at home because I was, I, I needed to get high. Yeah, I, I totally understand. Whereas when I knew that I went away, the gig, the jig was up. Right. You know? No, totally. I mean, that's when I went to rehab the second time I was trying to do it at home and I just knew that I wasn't going to do it. That said, like, you know, the last time that I used, I detoxed with the help of a doctor using buprenorphine over seven days. So I mean, I think that there are a lot of different ways. I think that certainly going to rehab is a good idea, but um, you absolutely could do like some sort of outpatient care and do, you know, a tapered sort of program with Suboxone. Um, There's, you know, there are a zillion different ways to do it now that just didn't exist in the 90s. (laughs) I think it, it creates... Listen, I, I don't disagree with that. 
And um, I just know that like when I did outpatient, I would be copping on the way home. Mm -hmm. And when I would go get a buprenorphine Mm -hmm. subscription prescription, I would like cop on the way home and not take it. You know what I mean? Like I just, I would put shit in the way when, it, when I was left to my own devices, right. I went the wrong way. But it goes back to the thing of like what you said with like willingness because, mm. well, I'm going to, because when you. Professor Flory's <laughs> willingness. When, when I was pregnant and I knew that I had to get off of drugs, I didn't want to go to rehab. I wanted somebody to detox me in a way that would make it bearable. And I, and I did that and I wasn't trying, like I, I had. I'd made the decision and I like committed to that and I was going to be willing to try. I was willing to try the buprenorphine because I was not succeeding at doing it on my own. Totally. Totally. So yeah, I mean, I think that for sure you need to tell somebody in your life, um, if you can get even like an appointment with a therapist who is well versed in addiction, that would be a really good idea because that would be a professional who could, help you make a plan and guide you through telling your wife, guide you through what the best treatment protocol would be for you. That's where I would start. I I think you need to make an appointment with somebody, make an appointment with an addiction specialist, licensed therapist who can walk you through what your next step is. What what you shouldn't do is make an appointment with an unlicensed (laughs) advice columnist and a podcast host who works in a deli. But, but hold on, hold on, hold on. I was going to say. But we're directing him somewhere good. No, and I think. It's safer for people to come to us. That's, you know. I I think even more importantly, like the point is to take action. Yes. And to follow through. It doesn't matter if you go check in. Right. If you go to a, whatever you're suggesting, going to a a psychologist, Mm -hmm. going to an addictions counselor, whatever you do, if you follow through, if you take action and then you follow through, it's under control. Exactly. Like, and there's a million paths, pick one and just make sure you fucking follow through. And he says that he makes a good living, so he should be able to financially afford getting help. Right. Which is often a barrier for people. I think making a living is sometimes its own barrier because you have money. Because oh, it's yeah. like it's like you know when I you're, when I had money it was so hard to stop because you're f- you know quote unquote functioning on some level like Mr. Flurry yeah yeah you know um what was I gonna say Mr. Flurry reminded me of this friend I have uh, who I used to get high with mm-hmm. who I love one of my best friends and um, he talks kind of like Mr. Mm-hmm. Flurry was talks. he Canadian no but he's like he's from the heartland. Right. Of America. And which, it's just, which, which can veer a little Canadian. It's similar. Yeah. There's a similar sort of slowness to the, mm-hmm. the talk and, and stubbornness, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and my friend uh, has like 10 days sober. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I was talking to him and like he's so he just he wants to be able to do it on his own. Mm. I've had this conversation with him over and over and over and over. Which again. is so hard because you're like you can want it all day long, but well, you know, <laughs> you I, know. I I I went to uh, I hadn't gone to a meeting in like 15 days, and mm-hmm. I was like mental, and I was very annoyed at myself that I'd become so reliant on 12 step programs. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the meeting, my sponsor, who I've said many times, famously has big neck tattoos and has. The words real deal across his knuckles <laughs> spelled R-E-E-L. Um, but uh, Is he a fisherman? 
probably. I hope so. He's a terrible <laughs> speller. But um, he fucking, he said, and I'm sure every meeting somebody says this at some point, but he said, uh, we recover together mm-hmm. and we get fucked up alone. Mm-hmm. And like, I just think that that's what I said to my friend today. Right. And I felt a little cliched saying it, but like, it's true. It's like, yeah. it's like if you can reach out and talk to somebody, same with him, mm-hmm. like this guy, he needs to talk to people. It's great 100%. that he wrote you. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's about putting, you know, giving up and then talking to other people who have. I'll tell you, like, I've been doing Ask Aaron for 12 years. Oh my God. But has it ever been so robust as Dopey Ask Aaron? It has not. You're a liar. <laughs> You're a fucking no, liar. I am a liar. But, but I, I mean, I love what's coming in through, through Dopey. But um, I have often. And I think this is true of like anybody who's an advice columnist. I think I'm often the first person that somebody opens up to about something. And then it's like baby steps. It's like sometimes people like that's like the first crack of the door, you know, and then they. Or like Dopey Nation Facebook. It's like there's yeah. a certain or, or, or a Zoom, totally. a Zoom 12 step yep. meeting because there's a certain amount of disconnect. Yes. For me, it's the opposite because I don't feel seen or mm-hmm. recognized. It's not even happening. Right. You know, I need to show up. I need right. to like smell it. Mm-hmm. I need to like see the walls. I need to see what I need to get a story in my head for me to be immersed in something. Which must have been really hard for you during the pandemic when meetings weren't happening in person, right? They were. They were. They were. They were for me. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm in that really elite group that always has me. No, no. Because our meetings are outside. Oh, okay. So. Oh, well, there you go. And they, they took them off of the beach where I'd go and mm-hmm. they moved them to the supermarket parking lot. Oh, wow. But I wasn't going a lot. And I had yeah. COVID for, for a long time, actually. You did for a long time? <laughs> I did. I had COVID for like a month or, or maybe even longer. Really? I, was I knew you had COVID, but I didn't realize it was that long. It was, it was a while. I had the opposite COVID experience because I got COVID and I had not one symptom. Oh, I had all of them. I couldn't smell or taste for literally really? like like 50 days or, or longer. When I got sick this week, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted it to be COVID. Like I wanted it to be like like a real problem. So you had an excuse <laughs> yeah. to just check out for a little bit? That's all I want. Right. I, I just want an excuse to check out for a little bit. And I mean like, I mean like a good seven days right. in bed. Right. Catching up on television, maybe rewatching some old programs that I've seen in the past. <laughs> just like I, I like, why not? Like, it's like, oh, my God, I just I, I would love a break. But maybe can you do that a little bit this weekend? No, we have lots of fun family plans this weekend. And right. I will Halloween. be to us. Oh, fu- yeah, we have a fucking party, a Halloween party on Sunday. We have I have to go to two Halloween parties on Sunday. Are you going to dress up? Well, kind of. What are you going to be? Franklin wants me to be a witch, so I just got a witch hat and I'll just wear black. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's reasonable. Yeah. I have decided, I made this decision mm-hmm. years ago that I will only have Halloween costumes where I can wear a bathrobe. Oh. Um, which is only wizard with a bathrobe or the big Lebowski. <laughs> and I was trying to find a big Lebowski costume right. and it didn't come it through. Didn't come so through. as, as I have been the last two years, I'm going to again this year be a wizard with a bathrobe. <laughs> if you are curious about my a Halloween. bathing, a bathing wizard. <laughs> no, it's like, that's my cloak. Yeah, right. You know, I, I, I was in the Halloween store with Nora mm-hmm. and I was looking for a big Lebowski costume. Right. Cause you wear a bathrobe. Right. And the, I mean, I don't even like to put together a big Lebowski costume. You need that color bathrobe. 
Right. You need that color bathrobe. And and I'm just going to say something that's fucked up. You don't like the Big Lebowski. I don't think it's that good. Right. right. I think it's fine. Right. I think the Big Lebowski is fine. Right. I love the idea that the dude abides. Right. I like that. Right. And I like that he wears a bathrobe. Right. And I like his style. Yeah. But yeah. after that, I don't like the whole fucking thing with the kid and the car. It's like, who right. cares? Or the fucking, the, the, the cousin or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't need that shit. Or the fucking fake. I don't, it's the story's not good enough. <laughs> I don't know why people think it's so fucking people good. People love it. Why do they like it so much? I don't know. Because the dude abides. Because because Jeff Bridges is so. I mean, I mean, the thing to love about the Big Lebowski is Jeff Bridges and John Goodman. Right, they are great. They are great. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. What's his name? Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Jeff Bridges dancing is just so yeah. special. He's like a real country artist. You know that. I, I know. I saw that movie that he did. The problem is mm-hmm. that he's really a country artist, and he's not the dude. I wish right. in reality he, he was, was the, the dude. dude and not this right. fucking guy. Right. Anyway. I think I think this was a fine addition of Dopey. Yes. Did you have a good time? I did have a good time. Anything yeah. you'd like to add before we go? Um, everybody have a safe Halloween. <laughs> oh shit! Our YouTube shit starts on Sunday. No Monday. No Sunday. On the thirty first. Yes. I thought you were starting on November first. No, we're starting it on okay. October thirty first. We finally. You know that I haven't even seen your daily reflex, reflections yet. Well, on Sunday, I mean, get to see it. I can show you after we shut okay. off, but good morning, Dopey, our weird, deep, this is what I'm calling it, the deep yet very shallow dive <laughs> into the Daily Reflections start on Sunday. Uh-huh. So if you're still listening to the show at this point, please tune in. And you're going to upload them all at once or one a day? One a day. Yeah. One a day. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Bye. Goodbye. I want to take a walk around the world I wonder would it do me any good Until I get some money in my pocket Then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want to take a ride up in the sky Watch this airplane just pass me by And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I want to be good so bad Want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind Leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I want to be good so bad want to be good so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had 
damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. 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 And these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I 